it's a nightmare for universities across the country trying to gain control as coronavirus cases continue to increase on America's college campuses. COVID-19 cases now reported at colleges and universities in at least 17 states. Over the last few weeks, there have been coronavirus outbreaks on university and college campuses all over the country. In some cases, in-person classes were canceled just days after the semester started, and students have been unable to leave their dorms. We wanted to know what life is actually like for a college student dealing with lockdown. Is it worth going to college even when you can't actually go to class? We'll hear from one first-year college student who's glad she went even if her meals are being delivered by robots. And later, we'll talk to a scientist whose university didn't have to resort to such drastic measures and find out how they managed to contain a campus outbreak. I'm Anna Rothschild, and this is Podcast 19 from 538. My name is Sophia Vento. I'm from Golden Valley, Minnesota, and I am currently a first-year student uh, here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Sophia packed up her things from Minnesota and moved into the university dorms on August 28th. We are, I already went in knowing I'd be getting tested at least um, every two weeks, um, that we cannot have more than one visitor at a time, and that... You know, masks are required at all times in buildings and such. Just, you know, quite a few COVID precautions, obviously. I kept forgetting to put my mask on when I'd go in the hallway or go to brush my teeth or go to the bathroom or to fill my water bottle. But, you know, I trained myself to remember. I put a post-it on my door as a reminder. Figuring out dorm life in the time of COVID was just the beginning. There's also the actual going to school part. Sophia started classes on September 2nd. It was okay. I mean, like... The few in-person classes I had, you know, obviously COVID precautions were in place, masks on, socially distanced. But these precautions weren't enough. By Labor Day weekend, just a few days later, there were COVID cases all over campus. University of Wisconsin-Madison is only in its second week of classes and already has seen a surge in COVID-19 cases. In response, the university chancellor, Rebecca Blank, made this announcement on September 7th. I have directed all undergraduates to severely limit in-person interactions for the next two weeks. Despite these precautions, cases across campus continued to rise. By Wednesday, September 9th, Dane County, where the university is located, reported a surge in cases. 450 new coronavirus cases in Dane County yesterday, shattering a single-day record. A vast majority of those cases, 390 of them, are students and staff at the UW. And now Dane County Executive Joe Parisi is asking the university to consider closing its campus, asking undergraduates living in residence halls to move home and take online classes for the rest of the semester. Everyone was a little crazy that afternoon after hearing that. That evening, around 8 p.m., the students got an email from the university's chancellor saying that we were to basically stay in our dorm rooms 24-7, all in-person classes were to be remote, and that all study spaces are closed. Going into this entire experience, I knew that things would shift online entirely and that there was definitely a possibility that we'd get sent home before Thanksgiving. But, you know, we only had five days of what was to be the whole semester. So what's Sophia's routine under lockdown? I have a class in the morning at like 9.30 or 9.55, Monday through Friday. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Raise your hand if you're feeling fine. 
So I'm able to, you know, sort of get a jump start on my day. And I mean, there's a lot to do. I feel like online school always feels like more than in person, but um, there's really nothing else to do. So it's been nice to have that structure throughout the day, even if it is online. Since the dining halls don't allow in-person eating, the schools come up with some innovative ways to feed the students. There are options for like robot delivery. Here's your delivery. They're just so cute and probably one of the highlights of my college experience thus far because we don't have those back in Minnesota. But as we know all too well, living in isolation is really difficult and even more so in college. Uh, making friends and meeting friends is really the um, thing I was most worried about coming into college. I mean, point blank, but also during a, a pandemic. For the most part, you know, the only really chance you have to make friends if you're living in the dorms is, you know, with people on your floor or in your building. But it's really hard. I have a lot of friends and peers that that's what they're struggling with most and what sort of is making this experience in college and in dorms and just a lot more difficult, but I'm thankful that I was able to definitely meet quite a few people that I think could definitely be forever friends. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest thing I've noticed thus far is just that this, the way we are living right now is not sustainable, it's not healthy. Um, I worry about, you know, not only my own, but my peers, mental health, social life and interactions. And I worry that this shift to, you know, entirely remote, but also having study spaces closed, dining halls closed, not being able to see a friend in a different dorm, not being able to congregate in, you know, socially distanced groups even, is just really detrimental to the student population as a whole. A transition to college is always difficult, but you add a global pandemic and no in-person classes and really little to no uh, social interaction, it just makes it really depressing and difficult and stressful. For millions of Americans like Sophia, this pandemic is defining their first foray into adulthood. This is my college experience. It is our experience. This class, you know, this, you know, age group, this is going to be our, it's our reality. And I wanted to get away from home, you know, have a little independence. Most of the time it's not that fun. I still think it's worth going. The money part is where I struggle because you're paying a lot for a little. You're not getting what you paid for, you know. We can't utilize a lot of spaces on campus. You're not getting the true Wisconsin education here. Right now, you know, for me personally, going to college was the right uh, decision for me, even with everything going on. It's not ideal. It's not the, what I wanted it to be. But, you know, I'm happy to be here sometimes. <laughs> Many thanks to Sophia Vento for giving us a glimpse into her life on campus. 
course, not every university has had to go into lockdown, like the University of Wisconsin-Madison. The University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign is another big campus that experienced an outbreak, but they've managed to get it under control with a huge investment in testing and technology. Dr. Marty Burke is one of the architects of that system. I am a professor of chemistry at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. How many students are at the university? So we have about 35,000 undergraduates uh, generally, and most of them are here. So it's been, uh, it's a very large number of students. Uh, and I think that's obviously one of the biggest challenges we face. It's a, it's a large university. It's very obviously heterogeneous and dynamic and lots of challenges. And yet we've seen that this, uh, this program can work. The university had a comprehensive plan for testing students. Data scientists and epidemiologists figured out how often to test people. And Dr. Burke's role was to design the school's COVID test, which uses saliva instead of the typical nasal swab. How accurate is the test? So we've uh, been able to do comparisons with nasopharyngeal swabs that give us very high confidence uh, that it's accurate. Uh, we also know that it's very rare to get a false positive. According to Dr. Burke, his saliva method has about a 1% false positive rate and a 10% false negative rate. How does that compare to the accuracy of the nasal swab tests? Well, it's hard to know the false positivity rate, but scientists think that the nasal swab test has a false positive rate that's less than 0.01%. And some preliminary research indicates that the false negative rate for the swab test is from 2% to 29%. To actually conduct the testing, the university has set up about 20 sites all over campus in big tents. Students grab a test tube, open it. And you simply dribble saliva into the tube, about one milliliter, half a teaspoon. Um, you then put the cap on and then you place it into a rack. And then we have golf carts that run those racks from the tents down to our veterinary diagnostic lab, which we converted into a human COVID testing facility. Uh, and then the actual test is run. And they run a lot of tests. We're now at a point where routinely we're doing more than 10,000 per day. Uh, there were some days where we collected almost 18,000 samples in a single day. When it was 18,000, it's like 2.5% of all the tests in the entire United States were performed in our single lab that one day. The results are then churned out pretty quickly. We are you know, within the 24-hour time frame in most cases, and when things are really cranking, it can be like three to six hours. Students receive their results via an app on their phone. So the app actually... Uh, allows you to get your results very quickly in a HIPAA-compliant and privacy-first manner. It's fully encrypted data. It only gets decrypted on your phone. And if you are up-to-date on your testing and you are not positive, you have a big check mark that says access granted. And any building on campus, you have to show that app uh, cover page as you walk in. There's people at the front, they say hi, they say, how are you doing? And they say, show me your app. And so you only get access to buildings if you're up-to-date. If a student tests positive, they have to isolate for 10 days in a dorm set up specifically for that purpose. So we help them get isolated, we support them, uh, they get access to food and you know, other resources to help make sure that they're okay. There's even now a, a, a COVID-19 isolation box that they get with like Rubik's cubes and, and support. So there's even now a online Zoom session they can all start to participate in to help keep them you know, engaged and help make sure they don't have any worries. That's the number one thing. If people who know they're positive you know, stay isolated, this works. If people who know they're positive don't stay isolated, this doesn't work. So it's really, really important. But as we all know, it's hard to get people to isolate. The school had originally modeled what they thought would happen when students arrived back on campus. 
And our modeling predicted we would have several hundred cases that would come in with the students from all over the country and all over the world. So we knew that was going to be a challenge. But we expected that we would then be able to drive those numbers right back down with the fast, frequent testing. Now, the overwhelming majority of our students did a great job. Unfortunately, however, we had a small number of our students choose otherwise. And uh, this, this created a really big challenge a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we had students who had known to be positive from our test then go out and decide to go to parties or host parties uh, knowing they were positive. And this led to some really uh, you know, challenging rises in cases uh, really early. In fact, in the days leading up to Labor Day weekend, there was a rise of nearly a thousand cases despite such a rigorous testing program. In response to the spike in cases, the university made some adjustments. They started testing the most at-risk students three times a week and limited all undergraduates to essential activities for two weeks. Only go to class, go to work, go to lab, or go outside and exercise or go to religious activities. Otherwise, avoid socialization. And we launched Shield Team 30. Shield Team 30? It sounds like um, like a black ops kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, that was somewhat by design to make it cool. So uh, yeah, as soon as we get a positive result, rather than waiting for Champaign-Urbana Public Health District to be able to find them, we ourselves contact them immediately and within 30 minutes help them get safely isolated. What happens if somebody doesn't comply? If you want to participate in university activities, in fact, if you want to live in Champaign-Urbana as a student, you have to comply. Your academic standing is tied to participation in the testing program. So if you don't get tested, you can actually lose your academic standing. If a student finds out they're positive but decides not to isolate, they get suspended. So did this aggressive plan work? I'm very excited to tell you now our seven-day positivity rate is 0.31%. So we are actually right back down to a really nice low level, but we are not celebrating anything yet. We need to stay the course and stay vigilant and make sure we keep it there. As universities have opened, one of the concerns has been the impact on the surrounding communities. Remember, colleges aren't closed systems. Students leave campus and go to restaurants and bars. If they're sick, that could put the whole community at risk. I'll tell you one thing we're really happy about is that we looked very closely with Champaign-Urbana Public Health District. We've seen no crossover thus far from our students into our community. The other very cool thing that happened is now the community has started using the app. So if you want to get into a bar or a coffee shop or you know a restaurant, a lot of them will ask to sh you know show the app. And so it's actually turned out to be a great way to engage with the community to help keep everybody safe. And businesses that are using it are doing even better because everybody knows everybody in there is healthy and safe. Even the sororities are using it, we heard, when they want to get into a sorority party. So it's a really cool possibility. I'm wondering if your university were a community college, how effective do you think this plan would have been? I think it can work really well. It just has to be done probably a little bit differently. I think if you ask me that same question about what if we were a prison or an army base or a K through 12 or a resort destination, you know, or a small company or a large company or Chicago, uh, you know, it's a, there's a different answer probably for each group. That said, the basic concept of fast, frequent testing combined with data science and fast communication with wearing masks, staying distanced, and making smart choices about socialization, we think those general principles can be applied in many different environments, and we're really hopeful that this model can be helpful to a lot of other people. The University of Illinois system has a $7 billion budget and is known for its research activities, so they have the resources to implement a campus-wide testing program. This is such a rigorous program, and you guys have brought together data scientists and chemists and, you know, public health officials to make this happen. 
how expensive is this program? Uh, to get this up and running, we had to spend about $10 million. And the expectation is to run it throughout the rest of the semester, we'll probably about $10 million. And so it's not cheap, but when you think about the return of investment, the fact that we're actually able to educate our students, perform research, engage with our community, promote economic development, our businesses are open, our community is open. If you think about the cost of not being able to open up society versus the cost of running this program, I mean, the return of investment is tremendous. Do you think this giant effort is worth it to have students on campus? Yes, and we passionately believe in the importance of in-person learning. Uh, of course, it's not just lectures. There's laboratories and, you know, discussion groups. And I mean, there's so many important parts of the college experience that are done in person. And we, as a society, right, we don't want to miss out an entire generation of young people who are going to miss the chance to have that transformative experience that college can represent. You know, young people are passionate about learning and being educated and they told us they want to come back. So this is the other piece is that we received overwhelming me message from our students. They wanted to come back. You know, we're in this for a couple of years. We've got to find a way to safely, you know, educate our students. And I think this is something we hope can be helpful. The University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign is partnering with the state in the hopes of implementing this program throughout Illinois. And its dream is to bring the program to any community that wants it. But given how much it costs and how much buy-in you need from the whole community, for students like Sophia, that dream may not become a reality. That's it for this episode of Podcast 19. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, email us a voice memo at askpodcast19 at gmail.com. That's askpodcast19 at gmail.com. I'm Anna Rothschild. Our producer is Sinduja Srinivasan. Chadwick Matlin is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. We'll be off next week, but back the week after. Music